Hi, I'm Karen. And I'm Natalie. And welcome to The Next Page, the podcast of the UN Geneva Library and Archives. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Karen. We are starting the year on the podcast with a reflection on leadership. Yes, that's right. Our director, Francesco Pisano, speaks with Dr. David Day, who is a professor of psychology at Claremont McKenna College and academic director of the Kravis Leadership Institute. And in this conversation, they really delve into his work on teaching people how to be leaders beyond the traditional one-way approach. I think this is a really critical discussion for us all today, um, it, no matter what field we're in, how leadership can be defined in, in different ways. And now as we experience the pandemic, how can leadership adapt? Good question. He does touch upon what the next generation of leaders needs as we collectively move through these challenges. And so let's find out what they say. Professor David Day, thank you for accepting our invitation. It's such a pleasure to have you here on the podcast today. How are you? I am very well. Thank you for this invitation. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. I'm, I'm quite uh, honored to be uh, part of this series. Well, thank you so much. So why, before we go into the core of this conversation, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit so that our listeners know about you and the research you've been working on basically all your academic life? Sure. Uh, and I am an academician. I think maybe I'm unsuitable for any other kind of employment. So I'm one of these people who'd rather study leadership than actually go out there and do it and respect immensely those who can who can bring effective leadership to their organizations and their systems. Uh, my, my role is really to try to understand and discern and synthesize what are some of the lessons of what these leaders do. So uh, my I started researching leadership when I was in graduate school, but I had a very transformative experience, which was a sabbatical uh, after being promoted to an associate professor at the Center for Creative Leadership in Greensboro, North Carolina, which is a, a nonprofit global institute devoted to um, education, research, and outreach. And in that sabbatical experience, what I realized was that uh, people in organizations don't care about what the right theory of leadership is, and yet academics have been spending decades fighting about what is the right theory of leadership. What organizations cared about is how to develop their people to be effective leaders, and there was virtually no scientific foundation on how to do this. The space had been completely taken over by people in practice and consulting who were providing things to organizations that for the most part had no scientific evidence behind them. So one of the one of the missions that I took on was to try to address that gap, to start addressing this need for developing evidence about what works and what doesn't work in terms of developing people to be effective leaders. And speaking about the streams that drive leadership theory and practice today, what is the state of play and what has changed over, say, the past 20 years in the way leadership is perceived and exercised? 
I think one of the big changes has been away from what has been called a leader-centric viewpoint, which is it's all about the individual leader, what this person is like in terms of their traits, their behaviors, their decisions, because it, leadership involves not just one person. It involves people engaged in a process. So what has changed a lot is, is kind of opening the aperture to look at the other people involved in leadership processes. There's been a big uh, initiative to look at followership and, and how followers are important in creating effective leadership. There's also uh, initiatives around shared leadership and collective leadership to look at how leadership is created by multiple people working together. So I think a big trend is moving away from the, the person in a leadership position to better understanding the process that involves multiple people, uh, some of which are called leaders, some of which are called followers. But we also know that people play both. It's not that anyone is just a leader. It's not for the most part, anyone is just a follower. It's a dynamic process where people move between these roles in a very fluid uh, manner. Now, some people may be leaders more often. Some people may be followers more often. But I think one thing we've learned is that we need to prepare not just leaders to lead more effectively, but people at all levels uh, in all roles to be better prepared to step up and participate effectively in leadership. I wanted to point out also at this point that you co-authored a milestone study on the nature of leadership. That's the title, The Nature of Leadership, with, uh, together with John Antonakis, also a guest of ours at the Knowledge and Learning Commons we run here in Geneva. And um, speaking of that, could you spend some time telling our listeners about the concept of leadership development? Sure. Leadership development is bringing together two very ambiguous terms, leadership and development, to understand how do you create effective leadership processes? How do you create effective leaders? I, I differentiate between leader development and leadership development. Most of the field is really devoted to leader development, focusing on that individual leader and how to enhance the capacity of individuals to be effective in leadership roles and processes. But developing an individual doesn't necessarily mean that leadership will happen because, again, it requires multiple people in that space in order for leadership to, to, to draw forth. Now, most of the field is really about devoted to developing individuals. I think where we're seeing a trend is around working with collectives to enhance their collective capacity to bring forth leadership when needed. Now, what, is it, what does that mean to bring forth leadership? One perspective on this is around three tasks, around setting direction, around uh, creating alignment, and building commitment. So it doesn't necessarily capture everything that's in the complexity of leadership, but that will take us off into the weeds. But, but it, what, what it does is help us kind of focus on three major functions or tasks of leadership, which is direction, alignment, and commitment. And so how could a collective engage in these kinds of things and what are the kinds of developmental activities that can help them draw, that, draw forth that when it's needed? I think it will be cool to get back to this 
later on in the part of the podcast that I would like to discuss with you, namely about what leaders, today's leaders, should know and should do. And I think that is very powerful. You're you know, subdividing this in a triad. I think it's very powerful. Before we get there, you, in your studies, you also point out quite often the difference between training for skills and development for leadership. And I, I think it's worth at this point to spend a few minutes on this one. Yeah, I think this is a good uh, a good distinction between training and development. A lot of people, even even academic academics, don't draw a distinction. But I, I think there's an important one. With training, it's about providing proven solutions to known problems. So these are things that are experienced in organizations or, or systems uh, where we know that there's a problem, we know what needs to be done, and we know how to provide a training protocol to develop the kind of skills that will help people be more effective in those situations. With development, it's really about enhancing the capacity of individuals to deal with the unknown, to deal with adaptive challenges that they'd never experienced before. And, and that takes a longer period of time. It's a lot more ambiguous and messy to try to, try to do. And, and the payoff is usually in the form of years or decades and not in terms of uh, just weeks or, or months. A distinction that I like to draw around this is when we talk about leadership training, it's almost a, a deja vu mindset. I, I know I've been here before. I know what to do. I can fall back on the training I've received in order to be more effective. But what development really addresses is something that I think we're experiencing much more often in the world today, which is vujade. I've never been here before. I have no idea who can help me. I have no idea where to turn to in order to find an adaptive response to this very ambiguous and hairy challenge. So we're living in Vujade times, and I think we're, we're finding out that there has been uh, a big failure in really developing leaders to address these unknowns even though the training has probably helped in terms of the knowns, we still have people in systems who are lost when it comes to a Vujade world. And indeed, you seem to, um, to say that the current or prevailing leadership models are basically failing in this situation. And I think the, the COVID-19 situation, the mega trends like climate change, the soaring inequalities, all of that basically tend to prove uh, that what you're saying is right. And in a way, they put today's leaders on the spot also. They may even make them look rather unprepared. So I was wondering, maybe we can spend some time on the type of leadership that you think is required at global level in international affairs at a time like this and possibly going to the future if we accept the notion that we're living through a fundamental transformation, that the new normal, the new reality will look different than the one that we had in the past. Mm. Yeah, the uh, one thing I want to avoid is talking about what are, what are the exact kinds of things a leader needs. But I do want to talk about three general principles about leadership and how these three principles create leadership in different ways. All of them are valuable in unique situations. Two of them are principles that most people will be familiar with. The third one, not so much. So the, the first principle of leadership is around personal dominance. 
And this is the one that a lot of us grew up with as kids, you know, the biggest, the strongest, those are the ones who create leadership. And leadership is a, a one directional process from the leader to the followers. And you can see this in authoritarian kinds of regimes. It's a very much a personal dominance kind of mindset and a personal dominance kind of leadership. But there are limits to what personal dominance can create because if the leader doesn't know what to do in that case, leadership can't happen or effective leadership can't happen. So in situations where dominance fails, you need to transcend that, not replace dominance, but transcend it to build on it to bring forth interpersonal influence. So it opens things up beyond one person to having multiple people who are involved in some sort of influence process to try to bring forth a solution that both can live with. And this happens at a global level. We've, we've seen this when countries negotiate with each other. We see this when companies negotiate with each other. It's basically an influence process where you're trying to either get your way or to compromise around something that both parties can live with. But what happens when negotiation and influence fail? Oftentimes what happens, you hit the stalemate and it regresses back to dominance and might makes right. And it's like if you're not going to compromise, if we're not going to be able to create a negotiated outcome, then I will get my way by forcing my way. And it comes to the personal dominance. But there is a third way. There's a way to transcend interpersonal influence to relational dialogue. So rather than regressing in cases where influence has reached its limits, there's a third principle to progress to this notion of dialogue where the skills are not one of advocacy but more of inquiry, of trying to understand the other party's perspective through inquiry, questioning, the endeavor to understand where you can create a co-created third space that perhaps neither party had thought of that is one that can align interests to move forward when there's a stalemate. Now, again, it's not that one is better than the other because in, in crisis situations where a leader knows exactly what to do through either experience or training – then personal dominance is the is the principle to fall back on. And you can see this in kind of military situations in terms of, you know, first responders and things. Those are those are not the times for inquiry. Those are the times for people to follow what experts and expert leaders tell them to do. And it's the same thing with influence. Sometimes, you know, negotiation is the way to go. But 21st century leaders, I think, need to develop beyond the dominance principle, beyond a influence uh, principle, to this notion of a relational dialogue and have that as part of their repertoire that they're able to engage in this is necessary. But again, it's not something that you can just rely on if you've never practiced it or, or tried to develop it. And I think that's a big part of the 21st century leader development and leadership development, how to help people to know when you need to engage in dialogue and how to do it. One thing I think it relies on that many leaders are very weak on is this notion of listening. The really effective leaders have honed this skill and honed this practice of listening actively 
in order to understand others' perspectives so they can create and co-create new solutions to these kinds of Vujade problems that they've never experienced before. So what I understand from what you're saying is that if we were to describe a, a contemporary modern leader, this would be a person that is able to play at these three, in these three dimensions, according to the situation, the quantity of training, known solutions to known problems, proven solutions to known problems, as you were saying. And if in that case, that merchandise is basically absent from the table, they should go more to influence and then eventually to this kind of collaborative communication-based a style. So a modern leader would be able to mix these dimensions in an appropriate mix for any given situation. I understand from what you're saying. I, you know, I had not thought about this way, Francisco, but it makes a lot of sense. We're talking about a three-dimensional leader. A three-dimensional leader is one who can do dominance when it's necessary, understands when influence is the appropriate approach, but also can engage in dialogue when that's needed. And the development, the adult development literature is is clear that there is an asymmetry here. That if you can, if you know how to do dialogue, you've probably already done influence and dominance so you can fall back on those principles when they're needed but if the only thing that you know how to do is dominance you cannot just fall into or step forward into something like influence or dialogue so a a leader who only uses personal dominance is one-dimensional those who can also do influence are two-dimensional and what we really need are more three-dimensional leaders sounds good now when we look at the world right now we seem to be in a fast-paced transition phase and time has become this compressing factor for all decision makers much more than before so we have this time compressing factor that forces decision making into that corner of leadership theories where decisions are taken no matter how no matter what and so i was wondering if you could help us help our listeners at least focus on what leaders should know, what they should watch, what they should observe in a situation that is so fast-paced, moving across you know, transformational processes that are not known by the most. Yeah, one of the things that uh, I think leaders need to know is where their limits of expertise have been reached uh, when they don't know uh, what they don't know. And to be able to build collaborations very quickly. And I think this is something that we are engaged in in academia, and this is why we put students into teams so often in our courses, because I think they're going to be into these kinds of project teams in whatever domain that they go into, where these teams will be coming together and then moving apart into new teams and they they learn they need to learn how to build collaborations interpersonal trust and to become very effective in very short amount of times most of the teams literature has shown that it takes time for teams to coalesce you know the back to the norming storming performing that was proposed by people like Renzis Likert back in in the 60s. Well, now we don't have the luxury of time. We need to be able to bring people together very quickly, build collaborations and communication creatively and quickly. 
And that's uh, not something that's necessarily a skill that can be trained. It's, a, again, a part of the leader development process. You've used the creativity word. There is a lot of, uh, you know, discourse and reflection about the role of creativity in contemporary leadership. What is the place of creativity in contemporary leadership in times like ours? You need to be able to bring pieces together that hadn't been brought together to be able to view an adaptive challenge, which is basically a leadership challenge. You need to look at an adaptive challenge in new ways. And I think this is where, again, the limits of an individual leader are reached. There's a very important paper published in Science about the change in knowledge generation from an individual contributor to teams. And this is looking at researchers across a number of domains, including social sciences, including engineering, including basic sciences, both in terms of their publications, but also in terms of their patents. And they they reviewed something like 20 million papers and 10 million patents. This was a huge study that there's been a consistent trend away from individual contributor publications and patents to team-based publications and patents. And not only is it increasing in terms of the number, it's increasing in terms of the impact. And they can look at citation counts and things, see which papers are getting better citation counts. And what this indicates is that in order to be creative, and in this domain it's about knowledge creation, The new knowledge is being created by people coming together in interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary, and even transdisciplinary ways to look at problems, to advance understanding of those problems. And this is obviously in, in the sciences, but I think it also can extrapolate or be applied to international relations. How do you bring people together into these kinds of teams or groups, multilateral kinds of consortiums to create new ways to these new problems and to create insights into old problems that will allow us to be more effective going forward. And absolutely, that is one of the reasons for being of uh, multilateralism in international affairs. But going back to leadership, creativity is something that happens, as you, as you are underlining, basically in teams, in groups. And therefore, the discourse also in the leadership theory about collaborative leadership. So I guess the two are linked somehow, but you're the expert. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about, you know, what is really the role of collaboration in leadership? Let me... uh couch this in terms of what we work with at the Kravis Leadership Institute and what we work with our students around helping to develop them to be leaders of their times. We have a a competency model that has three overarching competence, leading courageously, leading creatively, and leading collaboratively. And these three things are interrelated. When we talk about leading courageously, it's really about voicing your values and living your values and living a life of integrity. The the creativity piece is really about being able to look at things in new ways. And oftentimes that's done through collaborations. Uh, We're, again, talking about moving away from leader-centric models. I, I think it also applies to things like 
creativity rather than looking for the Picasso of leadership of one person who has the vision and the creativity to shape an entire field. This creativity is coming about through collaborations and the collaborations are also with people who are true to their values. So moving against things that we know that can happen in groups and collectives like groupthink where everybody coalesces to an, an easy solution. If you stick to your values then you can move forward a conversation, even if it involves some conflict, that can move a group of people, a collaboration, to see things in new ways. But if people can really have an open and frank conversations, discussions, challenges, that requires things like what's called psychological safety or interpersonal trust, I think collectives are the way to see these challenges in new ways, and that's creativity. I think this is very powerful. So let's repeat it for our listeners. So basically three characteristics. Leaders need to lead courageously, they need to lead creatively, and they need to lead collaboratively. Right. So this is this is very powerful, and and thank you for bringing this up. And you mentioned your work we do at the Cravis Institute with um, with your students there. I would like to challenge you, see whether you dare on our podcast to tell us how you imagine the new normal after this pandemic is gone. You work with with young people and I imagine they have a lot of questions and you're faced every day with these questions of young people who are going to be tomorrow's leaders uh, and by the way there are a lot of uh, young leaders in this world they, you don't need to be old to, to lead and I wonder if you have formed an image however fuzzy of what is awaiting us in the new normal I wish I had that foresight to know what is what the new normal will look like. I'd like to quote Peter Drucker who said, the only thing we know about the future is that it's going to be different. So preparing uh, young people for to be leaders of their times is really about ultimately being adaptable and having a very keen learning orientation. I mean, this is happening at work. It's happening in, in global relations. It's like you have to learn your way out of problems. So helping students to understand this notion of acute learning is really important. One of the things that we do with our, our young people, rather than sending them to a bunch of workshops or events or things, what, what we do is, is try to use ongoing experiences to help develop their leadership over the four years that we have them at the college and we have them in the institute. So we have some assessments that we have them do to get a better understanding of themselves. We then ask them to take on challenges around what are what's an area around either courage, creativity, or collaboration that they would like to work on and where they need to stretch themselves. And then we put them into what are called developmental crews that provide support for them and their ongoing development. So the notions of assessment, challenge, and support are very important in using experience for development. But to answer your question about what the new normal is, we've seen a trend over the last uh, last couple years 
in terms of where students feel they need to challenge themselves. And the trend has been to move more towards challenging themselves around courage. And I think what they see in the pandemic, times of pandemic, the times of protest, the times of unrest in this country, that people do need to stand up for their values. They need to be able to push back against those forces that want them to compromise who they are and to be able to work in situations to help others lead courageously as well. So it was really a, a very obvious trend to this notion that students are paying more attention to courage than they have before. In the last year that we used this, it was maybe one in five who were focusing on courage, and now it's more like four out of five. So that means the students are picking up the signal that courageous leadership is apparently what we might need to go, you know, with some degree of assurance into the new normal, into the future. But you got me curious here. When you do these tasks with students and this exercise, and I think that's very interesting, which one of the three is harder for young people? Which one of courage, uh, creativity, and collaboration they find harder to actually put into practice? This is where individual differences come into play. And again, it, it emphasizes this difference between training and development because some students find courage a lot harder than creativity. Others find creativity much harder than courage. And it's really this notion of understanding yourself, self-awareness around where your challenges need to be met. And we we preach to the students, if that's the right word, about owning their development. Don't rely on other people to develop you. You need to own your development because leadership development is a lifelong journey. In organizations, a lot of them, especially corporates, work with high potential programs where only three to 5% of the employees actually have access to leadership development programs and practices. And that's a, ma a monumental waste of talent in my mind. And if you wait for an organization to develop you, you may miss the opportunity to enhance your potential as a leader, your human potential that is so much needed in these times. So to answer your question, it really comes down to students understanding themselves and not assuming that across all these students that one is easier or one is harder. And an important part of how we do development at the Kravis Leadership Institute is to really individualize that development around what is needed rather than assuming that all of these students need the same thing in the same, same way. I think it's a truism in leadership development that people start in different places and change in different ways. And how can we support that development over time? You just mentioned talent and potential. I'm very curious, what is the mix in a leader of these two? Potential is one of these things that is really difficult to measure. And I think high potential programs in many organizations that have them struggle with identifying potential because a lot of it is based on past performance. 
but that's performance. It's not potential. Those who are involved in succession planning in organizations have this, what's called this nine grit, which is a three by three matrix. It supposedly plot a person based on their performance versus their potential. But the potential comes down to just speculation. Do we really know what someone's potential is? And I think we, we as, this, as, as a global society, we waste a lot of human potential by simply focusing on what people have done in their performance in the past. And one thing that I think we need to take on is this notion of preparing people to be a leader even when they can't be the leader. And it's back to this notion of how can we create a, a, a more effective process of people engaged in leadership as opposed to focusing on a leader who has high potential who is going to solve all our problems for us. That's interesting. And also we know that people are not born leaders, but we also know that some leaders are born with a talent. So what can we tell with to listeners out there, especially the youngsters who are listening to us, about, you know, are you born a leader or you become a leader? Can anybody become a leader? Yes. You know, it's back to this born or made, and the answer is yes. Of course, I've never met a leader yet who has not been born, so you have to be born as kind of like a foundational criteria for being a leader. Uh, and it's true that people are born with with more potential for leadership. What we do know about leadership are people who have certain personality characteristics, like being extroverted is an advantage to being a leader because you're more likely to be seen as a leader or emerge as a leader if you're extroverted. Introverted, it doesn't mean you cannot be a leader. It's just a harder road for you to be seen as a leader. So people talk about that as a two-step process, emergence and effectiveness. If you're not first seen by others as a leader, it's hard to influence them. And, and another one is intelligence. I mean, people, for the most part, tend to gravitate towards those who have more intelligence. Now, it's not the smartest person. There may be a, a point of diminishing returns when it comes to intelligence. But when we talk about personality and we talk about cognitive ability, those both have big genetic components. There is a part of the nature leadership that involves the raw potential that people have. But it's often, often the case that people don't do anything with that potential. And that potential can only take them so far if they don't work on it. So here's a metaphor that I like to use in terms of what's involved in leader development. And people tend to think if they're involved in a leader development system or process or they're asked to go to leader development workshops, seminars, retreats, that it's a ticket to an amusement park where they're going to go on a bunch of really cool rides, have a good time, and come out and be somehow changed. But that's not how it works. It's really more like a gym membership. you got to go to the gym. you got to work hard to develop yourself. And the change is going to only happen over a longer period of time. We know that people don't go to the gym who have gym memberships. And even those who have memberships and go don't often really push themselves so I think what you see is a crossover effect, to answer your question, of those people who maybe have less potential, who go to the gym every day, who really work the machines, you will see over time that they will emerge as more effective leaders than the ones who have the raw potential who do nothing with it. 
I think this is an image that a lot of people can understand. I can certainly understand that. And so it's, a, it's a, maybe the, the best spot to, to start wrapping up this conversation with you, David. I wanted, before we part, I wanted to ask you where can our audience find more references, more information about the work you do at the Kravis Leadership Institute and maybe yourself? Sure. I think you can use any of your favorite search engines and just uh, search for Kravis Leadership Institute. And it should take us to our website and it will show what our amazing students are doing as well as uh, some of the research that we've published and other activities that we're involved in. And I, I welcome any of the listeners to contact me directly. And, and my email address is very simple. It's my first initial and last name, D-Day, at CMC for Claremont McKenna College dot E-D-U. So that's a D-Day at CMC edu and I, I welcome continuing the conversation individually with those who are interested wonderful and that was professor david date is the academic director of the kravis leadership institute in the u.s david thank you so much for being with us for your time and all the best to you thank you so much it's been a, a great conversation i enjoyed it immensely thank you for that opportunity